Hello and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a weekly podcast about the latest new episode of Star Trek. This week we're looking at Season 3, Episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery, Terra Firma, Part 2. Your hosts are two of the Academy faculty members. I'm Dr. Michael Merrick. I'm the media guy. And I'm Dr. Rodney Cup. I'm the philosophy guy. Our website is the Star Trek Academy.blogspot.com. And there you can find links to follow our social media sites, Facebook and Twitter. And we're also available on lots of podcast sites that you can find linked at our website. Feel free to go back and listen to our podcasts from earlier in this season of Discovery. And we also have analyses of the entire first season of Lower Decks, and we invite you to listen to those as well. And Lower Decks, by the way, premieres in several countries in January. You know, Rodney, some of our predictions from previous episodes about the season of Discovery played out here in Terra Firma Part 2. And we're going to, we'll, we'll jump into our regular structure in a minute, but we're going to mention a couple of those right now. And there are yeah. some spoilers right in the next few seconds. Yeah, that's just how good we are, Michael. That's just how good we are. So one of our predictions was regarding this redemption storyline for the former Emperor Giorgio and trying to make her more likable, really, for the Section 31 series that we've been uh, waiting for. A lot of people since this episode have been talking about this redemption storyline, but we just wanted to note that we've been talking about this redemption story arc for quite a while here at uh, the Star Trek Academy. And also, um, without bragging, you know, we may have a leg up on the competition. We're both teachers. I teach in language and literature. Uh, Michael's field is in media. So we do have a background that maybe helps us uh, see these things in advance. Yeah, literary analysis and criticism and media analysis and criticism often does focus on not just the words, not just the pictures, but the story and how the story is constructed. I uh, also want to note that one of our, actually, it was nice, one of our Twitter followers complimented us on calling the answer to the big question about who or what Carl is last week. And here's the, here's a big spoiler. Carl is the guardian of forever. And uh, I think I said last week that this wasn't my first choice. You know, a lot of people have been talking about that. It wasn't my first choice that I favored, but I think it does work for the Giorgio storyline. We'll have a lot more to say about it in, in a few minutes here. I think they did a nice job of tying that up. It's, it's for the most part, very cleanly done. I still have issues with it. I also should sort of do a mea culpa here. I Last week, I was completely and utterly confused. I, I really didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe the Guardian of Forever was a possibility, but uh, I can't take credit for having made that call personally myself. You know, I think a lot of people were confused by last week's episode, part one of the two-part story. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons we had a, a really banner week for our podcast, for podcast audience. We had one of our larger podcast audiences for last week. And maybe it is because the more, well, my wife's theory is the more confusing <laughs> the episode is, the more likely people are to listen to our podcast. So that was kind of nice. And I, yeah, and that makes complete sense. And by the way, I, and we should point out, you know, I, you know, both Michael and I, we, we are looking at what other people are writing and saying about Star Trek. And some of the things that they say are, are really smart and creative. 
So we, we should give credit where credit is due, but we also want to pat on our, ourselves on the back as well a little bit. Yeah, we do our uh, best to come up with our own ideas. We're trying. Yep. But that having been said, our, our first order of business, usually, uh, not this week, but usually is is just to give our audience a brief description of the episode or a review for people who have seen it, uh, just to bring us up to speed. Um, if you've not seen it, of course, you're welcome to listen, but there are spoilers coming, so beware. Go ahead and take it away, Michael. Okay, well, in this part two of Terra Firma, we continue to see Giorgio in the Mirror Universe as she attempts to regain Mirror Michael Burnham's loyalty. She decides that the only way to do that, which Michael will understand, is the standard Empire tactics of interrogation and torture, because she thinks Michael will only learn from pain. And this continues for quite a while. It's kind of hard to tell how long. It could even be weeks, as Giorgio, uh, in the meantime, tries to remake the Empire based on what she's learned from Starfleet and the Federation. And uh, uh, Giorgio cares for her Kelpian servant. We saw that servant in last episode, and essentially it is the Mirror Saru. And in this episode, when he approaches Vaharai, she tells him how to survive it to his amazement. And she tells him to survive it and to teach the other Kelpians also. Now, Michael, I should say Mirror Michael, eventually does pledge her renewed loyalty to Giorgio and after she's been through the ringer and in fact goes out and kills everyone who conspired with her, or at least so she says. They track down eventually one of Lorca's lieutenants, but when they get him in the brig and they go to visit him, Michael pulls a phaser on Giorgio and it's clear that she didn't really resume her loyalty. And Michael's people and Giorgio's people fight hand to hand. The emperor kills Michael with a sword right through the middle. And at the same moment, Michael's dagger goes into Giorgio's neck. So Burnham dies, Giorgio is in the process of dying. Mirror Saru is there uh, because he and some of his fellows showed up with weapons to support the emperor. And Mirror Saru cradles Giorgio in his arms as she dies. He has passed through Faharai. And boom, Giorgio wakes up back on Danis 5 where she's been unconscious for only about a minute. Carl says that she has passed through. His newspaper is now changed to say that her fate is uncertain. Carl says the answer to whether ex her experience was real is her bioscanner, which does say that she's been gone for three months. Carl says that the version of Giorgio who was dying in a mirror universe doesn't fit so well anymore, does it? Giorgio is still experiencing the effect of being in the wrong universe and the wrong time. Carl finally confesses that he is the guardian of forever. And that wooden door that we've seen transforms into the familiar guardian shape from the original series episode, The City on the Edge of Forever. He has been hiding because during the temporal wars, everybody was trying to use him to kill everybody else. So he changed planets and went into hiding. Giorgio was not sent back to the mirror universe to be cured. She was sent back to be weighed, to be tested, to see if she would make different choices, to see if her time in this universe had changed her. But weighing her also allowed figuring out of her course. 
And although she did end up killing her daughter, Michael, again in the Mirror Universe, she at least tried to make things different. And this time, Carl explains, she tried for peace and she also saved a Kelpian who will now save many others. So Carl sets a new destination in the time portal and invites Giorgio to pass through. He will send her back to a time when she will not be affected by the time travel and the parallel universe problem. After a tearful goodbye to Michael, Giorgio passes through to her own spin-off TV series is really what's going on here. Back on Discovery in the B storyline, Book uses some emerald chain courier technology he has to help the folks on Discovery hack into that Kelpian ship in the Verubin Nebula. Uh, he knows how to amplify a signal in subspace using this emerald chain technology, which the emerald chain learned to do because there were so few subspace relay stations left and the couriers got access to the emerald chain technology. Well, Admiral Vance by hologram is not that happy about using emerald chain technology on a Starfleet ship, but he accepts it. And the episode ends with the Discovery crew gathered and toasting the absent Giorgio. All right, well done. So we'll get started here by looking at some of these individual elements first. And I've got to say that one of the first things that comes to mind for me is, you know, <laughs> Apple devices have Siri, Google devices have Alexa, and the guardian of forever has Carl. What can right. I say? What can I say? I wonder if I can get Carl on my Google devices here at I home. I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, Paramount and Paramount CBS uh, will, uh, will give some computer software a uh, franchise on Carl. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce the name of the actor who played Carl, but I think I'd I'd rather have Bart LaRue on my on my Google device. Who, who Wouldn't that be something? Who, who provided the voice for the original Guardian in the original series all the way back there? Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be awesome. Um, I'm something... sorry, Rodney, I didn't get that. Right. <laughs> well, what else? So what else? something, yeah, my, something Michael and I both noticed is, and I'm sure everybody noticed, I, it was a nice touch though, that the opening credits were mirrored, right? The images were flipped either horizontally or vertically, and the colors were inverted to signify the mirror universe, surely. But, uh, you know, yeah, it, it I, I like me, it when they play around with uh, opening credits like that. Yeah, it reminded me of the Star Trek Enterprise mirror universe episodes where they had completely transformed opening credits from the perspective of the Terran Empire, uh, you know, and it was about conquest and all that kind of thing. In this case, they didn't just do that, but many, I think maybe not quite all, but many of the individual elements uh, were different. They were upside down, or certainly the whole thing was a different color. It was bluish cold colors, I should say, rather mm -hmm. than the warmer, you know, browns and tans of, uh, of the regular credits. So Giorgio's time in the mirror universe apparently lasted three months, according to her wrist bioscanner. But we still have to ask, was she really there? And it is still kind of vague. The implication from Carl is that he did not send her to the to the mirror universe as a final destination, as a cure, for example, but as we hinted earlier, as a, as a test, not just to see whether she's changed, but to determine where to send her permanently. And I have to note, that's not how the Guardian worked in the original series. I remember Kirk and Spock had to just watch time passing in the portal and jump when the time seemed right to try to get to the right place. Uh, but 
as I think about it, they did get to the same city where McCoy had previously gone. Uh, so maybe the Guardian did have a little bit more discretion than it led on to, the kind of thing that Carl seemed to be implying. Maybe the Guardian in the original series did intentionally send Spock and Kirk to the same place McCoy had gone several days earlier so that they could prepare, but kind of just didn't let on to it. Carl did mention that the temporal wars, or he suggested that, that because of the temporal wars, he had to be more careful about who he was sending through there, and thus the weighing process, it seems to me. Yeah, so, I mean, we're kind of reimagining the Guardian here. I think we our are. understanding of the Guardian from the original series is it worked one way. You could go to the past, but you had to kind of take your chances as to where you got to. But when you completed your what your express task was there, it would bring you back. Of course, when they were writing about computer interfaces back in the 1960s, they never imagined artificial intelligence the way we do today. Like I said, it's kind of a reimagining of the Guardian. It, it works, but it is different from what we saw in the 1960s. Yep, no doubt. Uh, as you were saying earlier, I, I think it's still not clear I want to make it clear, though, but it's still not clear exactly what happened to Giorgio. And before I get started here, I just want to say I want to salute the writers. I did not see this weighing business coming. I did not see that coming. And thankfully for that, there's a way to make the, the terra firma story coherent. And it goes like this. Giorgio's experience is similar to Picard's in the TNG episode, The Inner Light. And maybe you all remember in that episode, an alien probe gives Picard the experience of living another life, but in about 25 minutes or so. But to Picard, when he wakes up, he feels as if he's actually lived that life, right? So in Terra Firma, part two, similarly, Giorgio wakes up, feels as if she's experienced three months in the mirror universe, but the weighing process took only a minute, right? And we know, I believe that she didn't really go back, that it, it was some kind of weighing process because she's still sick when she wakes up. I, I would think that if she had actually gone back to the mirror universe for three months, um, maybe, maybe that would have mitigated her symptoms a bit. But the way Carl talks about her experience seems to suggest that it actually happened. He says that she was sent back to be weighed, right? He says that Mira Saru will save others now that he himself has been saved. So that kind of language makes it sound as if she actually went back to the Mira universe in the past. But as I argued last week, that it just doesn't make sense. It, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I just don't think it makes sense. Also, further evidence that she didn't actually go back is that any changes that she made in the Mira universe would also potentially affect the prime universe since they're connected by the events in the first season of Discovery. But when she comes back, it, it, I don't, it, it appears that no changes to Discovery and her crew are evident. So I feel that the best way to make sense of this is, is that Giorgio didn't actually go back to the mirror universe, but she was being weighed. But I, I feel like Carl's, you know, the, the writers are being, uh, you know, too cagey here with Carl's <laughs> language. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like these events we saw with Giorgio should have happened in the Mirror Universe before the things we saw in Discovery Season 1, because Lorca was gone, hadn't come back yet, of course. But, of course, 
in what we saw in Discovery Season 1, Giorgio hadn't died previously. And I, I mean, figuring out the Prime Universe timeline is hard enough, but much less conflicts in the timeline in the Mirror Universe, unless the Mirror Universe has branched and now there's more than one Mirror Universe, and in one of them, Giorgio dies and the other she doesn't, and it's, it's too confusing. <laughs> one of the things that I've always liked about Star Trek, as long as I've watched it, is that the continuity does hold together, that they don't just make things up on the fly, that, that things do connect together. And I would be more satisfied if we could see how these things fit together, but who knows? Who knows? Giorgio is watching Michael's torture on a tantalus device, a device such as we saw in the original series Mirror Universe episode, Mirror Mirror. Right. And and at one point, Tilly is talking to uh, Giorgio as she's watching Michael on the dis this device. And she says, you could kill her with the press of a button. And it looks like a tantalus device. So I, that's it really is, I think. Again, it's it's reimagined a little bit, but the buttons are in the same place and the knobs are in the same place. And uh, yeah, so either when Mirror Kirk had it in the original series, that was a decade or so later than the, these events we've been watching with Giorgio. So either he didn't have the only one or he somehow got a hold of Giorgio's a few years later. But I think in in the original series, it was a secret device. Nobody knew about it, but in these events we just saw, Kelly certainly does. You know, I was just thinking of something, you know, maybe the Tantalus device wasn't like, say, a standard issue tech <laughs> for Starfleet ships, Empire ships, and it was up to individual captains to acquire their own Tantalus devices I mean, in whichever way they could. I mean, the whole idea of you take over someone's job by killing them, not just defeating, well, maybe defeating them in battle, but by killing them. And if everybody and his dog had a tantalus device, it'd be really easy. Uh, and there'd be no way you could protect yourself from somebody else's tantalus device. So I think we mm -hmm. have to assume they're pretty rare. Oh, yeah. yeah and I, I think it was put there. It's not really a part of the plot. It was put there as an Easter egg uh, for, for people to notice. I wish I'd noticed it the first time through, but I saw a reference yeah. on Twitter and, and that was, and that was cool. I thought she was merely surveilling Michael. It, uh, it didn't click with me. Yeah. Giorgio's narration, and, there, and there's a substantial part of narration there. She says she wishes that there was another language Michael could understand. But in the Mirror Universe, she says, where strength is power and terror is love, there's no other way to reach for her to reach Michael. And it's kind of her Mirror Universe brand of what we call tough love. But then she says, we can be more, but first we must remake ourselves. And of course, she's talking uh, in the narration, supposedly talking to Michael, but she's also talking about herself there, about remaking herself. Yeah, I mean, it, I, at many points, it, it and this is something you've been noticing, it's a kind of irony, right? You know, Giorgio appears to be talking about Michael, and she is, but she's also talking about herself, which, you know, I, I, I can appreciate that. I, yeah. I like that. That's in, again, in literary techniques, that's called subtext. There's a surface layer of meaning where she's talking to Michael, but the subtext, the meaning below is that she's also talking about herself. And yeah, I, and I just, say that your language and literature professor, you know that very well, but we're telling the audience. <laughs> yeah. Right. Those kinds of touches make television shows more interesting. It's good writing. It's good yeah. writing. Um, another thing, we saw uh, another example of this sunrise metaphor we've been seeing this season. At one point, 
while Georgia was watching Michael on the Tantalus device, maybe I'm not exactly sure to be honest with you, but she says, even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. And there, I think it's signifying Giorgio's hope that Burnham will be reformed. But we so. have seen those sunrises and that and that imagery in previous episodes. And, and of course, you know, light is a common metaphor for goodness or for blessing. And, and they're continuing to use it here. Yeah. I just remembered, you know, when Michael is in the brig and she has the fireflies in the jar next to her and she's lying there. Yeah, Did you notice that at also. one point that, that her face becomes sort of bathed in light. Did you notice that? They've kind of, well, frame, yeah, framed in the globe and bathed in light, yeah. The unfortunate thing, of course, is that uh, Burnham is not reformed, but <laughs> false alarm, I guess. Yeah. The interaction with Mira Saru, of course, is also interesting. Giorgio tells him that he will honor his dead by surviving, surviving the Bharai, and that teaching others what he knows is how he avenges his family. And then she says about herself that she is Terran and she will make the empire what it needs to be because that is how I will survive, she says. Now, those aren't two exactly identical statements about Saru and about herself, but again, very parallel. And uh, again, this, this subtext, this layers of meaning in talking about him and in talking about herself, we see that that parallel, that connection there. And it's planting seeds to the more we find out later in the episode that her interaction with Saru was really important to her weighing, to her test. Right, right. Now, when she sends Burnham off to execute these coup plotters, she tells Burnham, don't come back until you've proven yourself. Now, that stuck out to me because this season, it's been about the crew of Discovery trying to prove themselves to the 32nd century version of the Federation and Starfleet. And also last episode was the last episode, I believe Saru told Book that he would have a chance to prove himself. Now, Given that this keeps coming up, I, I doubt that it's a coincidence, but maybe it is a coincidence. I'm, I'm not sure. Also, um, another thing I noticed during the episode, Burnham and Giorgio are eating dinner, not Kelpian ganglia. And uh, Burnham says, I heard you made changes. You systematically used back channels to sabotage the coalition. She's referring to this, the coalition of enemies, of the Empire's enemies. And Giorgio replies, that wasn't hard. Those silly democratic things are always on the brink. And I couldn't help uh, but think of uh, Russian interference in American elections. <laughs> and maybe the writers intended this to be an allusion to it. I don't know. But that's where my mind went. Of course, her back channels could have been the Tantalus device, too. Who knows? So thing I was wondering, we're getting to this point of the story, when they get this kind of lieutenant of Lorca and he's down in the brig and, and Giorgio and Michael go down to see him as they're leaving the bridge, Michael tells Tilly, tells Killy to bring the honor guard to the brig. And why did she do that? It, it appears that Tilly's folks were loyalists. And when they showed up, they ended up fighting Michael's forces, it, it looked like. Yeah, I, I, it seems puzzling. I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, and I'm speculating here, maybe it was just standard procedure. And I believe those folks were killed immediately once uh, Reese and Nilsson entered the brig. Well, wasn't there a scene with Owo and Reese fighting? And maybe it oh. was fairly early, but, you know, we, we did see people other than Burnham and Giorgio fighting. Uh, and, yes. And no, Owo was fighting Reese. Oh, yeah. And I think um, Owo 
killed him. So that uh, struggle has ended. But that, it, but that it, began last episode. Yeah. But at least this this honor guard were presumably Killy's people, and Killy appeared to remain loyal. So I, I don't understand why Michael would just plant the seed. You know, you bring, better bring your guys along. I'm pretty certain that Killy and Owo were loyal. I, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. Of course, the Kelpians showed up with weapons uh, right. on Giorgio's side. That was interesting. Right. And post-Vaharai, right. too. And the Kelpians post-Vaharai are pretty scary. I'd want to have them on my side, I guess I would say. One of the questions not answered yet is about San, who, uh, a person that Giorgio has referred to in her visions in past episodes. She says that she had a chance to learn these lessons about a different way, but we don't learn any more about it. I'm assuming that in some way, shape, or form, San will be addressed when the Giorgio Section 31 series starts. And I'm wondering if, if San, assuming that's male, I don't know if San might even appear. Maybe San is at the destination where the Guardian sends Giorgio. I don't know. Stay tuned, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. I think that's the, what they'd like us to do. <laughs> and we haven't, I, I, we haven't heard about that this series, Giorgio Section 31, beginning production. So it's probably, could easily be a year or more down, down the road. We'll do you see. feel like maybe Strange New Worlds took its place in the queue, so to speak? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I think I think CBS was a little surprised at the strong positive reaction to Pike and Number One and Young Spock and all that. It, it, that's that's possible. That's possible. One thing I wanted to note: uh, I was looking forward last week to a possible Jason Isaacs cameo. Um, you know, I really liked the character of Lorca, uh, even even uh, Mirror Lorca. Uh, he was so evil, but, <laughs> you know, but I like that character. I'd love to see uh, Prime Lorca. And, you know, maybe this wasn't the place for it, though. I, I think thinking back on the episode now, I think it would probably have been out of place, you know, but maybe he'll find a way to show up in Strange New Worlds, perhaps. Now, he crossed over to the Mirror Universe, but that doesn't mean he couldn't find his way back. So, I mean, eventually, by the time of Deep Space Nine, they can bop back and forth pretty, pretty easily. I, I mean, I think by the events, by the time of the events we saw in the Mirror Universe, he has already crossed over to the Prime Universe. His ship, you know, the the Buran uh, and all that was was seen destroyed in the Mirror Universe, but he somehow got thrown over. And I think he's already impersonating Prime Lorca by this type. And in fact, his mm -hmm. the, the lieutenant guy that they that they they get at Risa at the end. He mm -hmm. says Lorca is making new friends. So maybe he even knew about this jumping between between universes, given that Lorca planned all the while to to come back, come back and still take over the Empire. You know, that's possible. It occurs to me also he may have been referring to the Romulans and the Klingons. It's possible. I think we should also note at least how convincing I think the actors were in playing their mirror counterparts. I really believed it, and especially Sonequa Martin-Green and Mary Wiseman. I mean, she was just evil. <laughs> I, I have a feeling they really relished being able to play the bad guys like that. Yeah, it must have been a lot of fun. But they did a great job, I thought. Anyway, um, okay. Are we ready to move on to messages, meanings, and the like? I think we are. All and, right. And I got to tell you, it bothers me, even though Giorgio is now supposedly kinder and gentler she still has no real problem with 
executing conspirators and torturing Michael. I agree that that's a problem. Uh, and yeah, she sees it as a kind of tough love, the, the way you sometimes have to punish a naughty child, uh, the only way Michael can learn, but it's still not very admirable. It reminds me of a line in one of the original animated series episodes. It was an episode called BEM. It was written by David Gerald, who of course is well versed in the Star Trek universe. And in that episode, a character says, errors demand recognition so they will not be repeated. Intelligent beings need no revenge. Punishment is necessary only where learning cannot occur without it. Mm. And that statement that David Gerald wrote uh, has always seemed insightful to me. In this case, Giorgio thinks Michael can only learn by a punishment, but boy, the punishment is, is awfully strong for an ethical punisher. Yeah, I think you mentioned this quotation earlier. Uh, Giorgio says, I wish there were another language that you could understand, but here where strength is power and terror is love, there's no other way to reach you. So that's all she has in, in this universe if she wants to change Barnum. So th that does seem to me to be what she's asserting on the ethical side of things. This seems to be a, an ends justify the means kind of situation. <laughs> you know, she wants to reform the empire you know, but she can't use Federation methods to do that. She has to use the distasteful methods of the empire, unfortunately. And I feel like maybe we're back again to the idea that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, you know, if she's going to reform the empire, you know, some people are going to have to make sacrifices. And unfortunately, Burnham is one of them, but it's, um, I don't think normal human being, well, the usual human being couldn't bring themselves to do to Burnham what Giorgio is doing to her in order to achieve that end, right? No, I agree. And the other people that have to pay are all of the other conspirators. Um, yeah. I mean, Giorgio obviously thinks, I mean, we're not just punishing the conspirators that having Michael herself kill her co-conspirators is part of her transformation, Giorgio hopes, which as we have seen, didn't didn't work. But the other thing I was thinking, if she if she really had three months worth of experiences, maybe was she, she was still getting her act together. You know, right at the beginning there, she was one person and maybe she continued to change after she arrived. Uh, she had all these new ideas that she'd gathered from Starfleet and the Federation, but maybe they gelled more and more as she was actually implementing them. At the end of her time there, maybe she wouldn't have resorted to torture. You know, I, that seems plausible to me, you know, that during her time there, she just found the Empire to be more and more offensive. And, and of course, by the time she's back there with Carl and Burnham, she's done with the Empire. She's like, I'm, I'm not interested in going back there at all. Yeah. You know, as, as teachers, we know that, that there is a process to learning. You receive new information and then you apply it and you actually learn more from applying it than you do from just having a teacher open up your head and pouring data into, right. the, into your skull. That, <laughs> that the real learning comes from the applying it and the practicing and she, maybe she was practicing as she went along. You know, it, it seemed to me, and, and of course, yeah, now everybody, We've been doing it for a while, but now everybody's talking about Giorgio's redemption. But there are two, at least two, redemption stories in this episode. Uh, Giorgio's redemption, but she is also try, trying to make Michael experience redemption for her disloyalty. 
almost a mirror approach to redemption. Mm -hmm. That's uh, true. So again, different layers by the writers. There are two redemption stories here. Giorgio passed her test kind of in general because she tried to do the right thing, tried to make things better. But it seems that the very influential part of it was her compassion for the Kelpians. Uh, compassion is what caused her to pass the test. And presumably compassion is a considerable factor that's guiding where Carl is sending her next. But remember, we know from the Guardian Forever, people can come back when their task is complete. So who's to say that we might not see Giorgio in the Discovery timeline again? Well, they're going to have to find a way to um, make her molecules happy with coming back. But you're absolutely right. There's nothing stopping, <laughs> I guess, uh, Giorgio from coming back. Well, you know. You no, know, that's interesting. That, that would be a way to set up a uh, a section 31 series you know georgia was on a mission and when she's completed it the series ends right presumably yeah yeah okay so well we'll we'll see or maybe she just comes back for short visits who knows but you know kind of right kind of stepping back and kind of big picture final thoughts here as i mentioned at the top of the of of our podcast here uh, Rodney, I before I saw this episode, I wasn't sure I liked the the proposal or the hypothesis that Carl might be the guardian. But I do have to say that they made it work. And assuming they made the the decision, the production decision to not have the Giorgio series be contemporary with the discovery, there weren't that many other alternatives as to how to get her back to the past. Right, so that's the question. Where does she go? Well, exactly. When, when, when do you think she'll end up? I have some ideas, but want me to tell you my ideas first. And please, can, please okay, do. Okay. So, well, the the series we are told is 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 about Section Thirty One with Giorgio as a main character. Section Thirty One dates back to Star Trek Enterprise. We saw it there, mm -hmm. and so this series hypothetically could be right around the beginning of the Federation. It could be in the Captain Pike era, or and, and there would be some merit in having her be able to be a guest star on Strange New Worlds or go back and forth there. It could be in the original series, the era of the original series TV and movies. It could move even a little more further to the next generation Deep Space Nine Voyager era, because at least in Deep Space Nine, we saw um, Section 31. I personally think there's a chance that it will be after Picard, but before the universe is drifted apart. So that would mean anywhere up to about 250 years after Picard. And from the point of view of the producers, that would open up a whole new time period. And, you know, in sending Discovery to the future, they said, well, we're now free from all continuity, right. except they have to deal with it in every episode. But at least <laughs> to the same extent that Discovery is now freed of being at least tightly fitted into continuity, 250 years or so after Picard would allow them that same flexibility to, yes, you know, respect the source material of continuity, but do new things with it. And so I, I'm wondering if maybe it's going to be a post Picard era somewhere, just as a as a way of of allowing some additional creativity. I like that. I think the one shortcoming would be that we wouldn't be able to get uh, 
characters that we know and love uh, into the series. I mean, Georgia would be there, but that might be about it. One thing that's been nice about Picard has been seeing uh, people like uh, Troy and, and Riker. And I'm not really sure, did the writers want to jump Discovery into the 32nd century so they wouldn't be burdened <laughs> or so burdened, I guess, by continuity? I think maybe. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that that that's a strong argument for after Picard. So I, those are really the only superficial thoughts I have about this at, 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 at this point. Okay. So I don't know, but I, you know, we'll have to see. It, it, it's fun though, you know, to see characters that we know pop up on these series. I mean, Picard, it was so much fun seeing Troy and Riker there. And, and Data uh, and Seven of Nine. And Seven of Nine. I keep forgetting yeah. about that. Yeah. And, uh, I loved seeing Troy and Riker in, in the last episode of Lower Decks. That was so much fun. So we'll see. Well, you know, uh, maybe it's only a little while after Picard. If you assume Picard could be, you know, five, six, seven seasons, maybe it's 10 years in the future. So we've got all, all these young folks from Picard that are still going to be around. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, now that Georgia was made her exit, we're going to turn our attention, I'm sure, to the Nebula to the Kiev, the cause of the burn, the Emerald Chain, all that stuff that we've learned about in season three. These uh, other storylines, they've been relegated to the background. They've been pretty insubstantial lately. They've had barely any time for them. Not that I'm complaining, but uh, now I think uh, we're going to shift to those storylines and hopefully get a lot of answers to the mysteries that the season has introduced. Now, maybe not answers to everything because there will be a season four, but I, I figure we'll get quite a few answers, right? Yeah. And Giorgio for two or three episodes was the beast was a B story, a background story that we only got little blips of when she first started That's getting right. sick. And in Terra Firma, of course, she's been the main story and the other stuff has been uh, the B story developing a little bit at a time, but now she is out. And so it comes back to, to center stage. You know, it strikes me where we are right now with not too many episodes left is that depending on what the writers are going to do, we might have all of the elements we need to reunite the Federation. We have a possible source of dilithium in mm -hmm. the nebula. And if it's a right. rich source, you know, that's to the good. We have a way of amplifying subspace signals, which is one of the problems because so many of the Federation worlds weren't in contact with each other anymore. And so if the Federation and Starfleet can capitalize on these things, they've got what they need to rejuvenate warp drive and mm -hmm. for much longer distance communications. Of course, there's still the question of the burn. They have to figure out uh, how to keep the burn from recurring if it's something that can recur. But that could be just a matter of simple technobabble. You know, in our podcast about episode three of this season, I proposed some technobabble that they could use to explain at least a lot of the burn um, having to do with quantum entanglement of the dilithium. I had a, a nice, a nice complex um, sentence or paragraph of technobabble, and I'll be watching for that to see if that's what they do. But Michael, that was an impressive bit of technobabble. I loved it. I wish I could remember it. I've got it written down someplace. But uh, <laughs> if if that's what they do, I'll find it for a for a, a future a future episode of our podcast here. Now you mentioned, uh, you know, we're worried about the burn recurring. You know, if I were on a Starfleet vessel with dilithium, I'd be, I'd be, at uptight. least low, yeah, low yeah. level, low, low level anxiety all the time. 
you know. But anyway, getting back to the burn, it, it just occurred to me too late to introduce a big bad for the season. I'm thinking of somebody or some villain who might be responsible a, for a the new, burn. A new, yeah, a villain that we haven't come across before. Yeah. Yeah, and I hope they don't go in that direction, but they but they may. And it, but if the cause of the burn is not natural, maybe it's the emerald chain. You know, now that the federation is out of the way, <laughs> business is booming. So, you know, maybe we'll learn who is responsible by the end of the season. And then season four will be about dealing with that threat and safeguarding the future of the Federation. But when you say the Emerald Chain had a motive, you're suggesting that they may have triggered the burn and just made sure that their ships didn't have warp reactions turned on so that they'd still have dilithium. Is that what you're suggesting? That is what I am suggesting. So maybe they are the big bad that will come to the forefront here in the next few episodes. Interesting. We will we'll see next week. It's the Citadel. It's our next episode. And after that, we're just going to have two episodes to talk about. But after that, we'll still continue something with, with our podcast with the Star Trek Academy will not be closing its doors. No, we won't. We won't. It does not appear that another Star Trek series will begin immediately the way that Discovery began after Lower Decks. So we will we will have a pause there. We'll find some other things to do. May not be weekly for a while, but uh, we, we will not go away. We'll still be here. So you can keep keep an eye open and have your keep keep your podcast catching software subscribed. Anyway, but that's that's gonna do it for this week. And we'd like to thank you for joining us. The Star Trek Academy, that's us, podcasts about every new Star Trek episode of every series. And you can find us at the Star Trek Academy.blogspot.com. And that site also has links to several platforms for your podcast app. So until next week, take care. Or make it so, or hit it, or <laughs> warp me. <Yeah. laughs>